Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude Podcast with Nick Fulweiler, myself, uh, and Peter Bell. How are you doing, Peter? What up? I'm not starring in this anymore. No, no. I <laughs> back to co-starring. That's what you get with unscripted uh, stuff. I just kind of say something and uh, with it. <laughs> that's what made people love this this podcast so much. Hopefully, hopefully. Um, we both are really excited about this episode. Um, it is about eschatology, which is the formal way of saying the study of end times. So uh, there's a lot of people during this COVID situation, maybe even, um, that are kind of looking into this and trying to evaluate what it is. And it's been a hot topic for years. Um, If you go to any popular uh, movies or books or um, maybe some certain uh, Christian channels or whatnot, they they kind of go off on a deep end about this stuff. And I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about it. Mm. So. Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, we just kind of want to clarify some things. And I mean, I didn't even know before COVID started. So about pre-March of this year, I didn't know what to believe like most people. Um, I kind of, my basic understanding growing up was if anyone's ever watched the, the left behind series or just kind of the popular ways of understanding uh, the apocalypse and the scary fire and brimstone, terrifying stuff. That's kind of, or like out of nowhere, your, your neighbor next to you gets sucked up in there. I think that might be, you know, that's why I grew up kind of like thinking would happen. Um, And then this is actually kind of, just for the audience, this is uh, what started Peter and my discussions um, in the very beginning of COVID. I kind of was reached out to him out of nowhere. If anyone knows me personally, they know I'm uh, kind of pretty random and really direct. So, <laughs> yeah, that's, randomly, that's what makes you so good. Yeah, I randomly texted you. I was like, do you think it's the end of the world? <laughs> I remember that. We were driving to Orange County. And... Amanda was on the phone and I was dictating while she was texting. So that was, that was fun times. I remember that. Yeah. She's like, uh, Peter, Nick is asking if it's the end of the world. And you're like, Oh boy. <laughs> you're weird friends, Peter. Yep. Yep. So fast forward to now, I got a way more understanding and a, what we're going to talk about really assuaged my fears of the end of the world. Assuaged, um, big word. Assuaged. <laughs> so like um, my nerves are much more calmed Um, yeah yeah. I'll let you kind of describe it but to kick it off there's three main categories to understanding which is premillennialism amillennialism and postmillennialism yep so I'll let you kind of go from here and uh, describe each of those yeah Um, so yeah there's kind of three schools of thought and there's some history behind a couple of them a lot of this is hazy. I mean, categories weren't really defined until about the 1800s. Uh, and that's just kind of the history of the church where 
things aren't defined very closely until other views come into the fray and hope for attentions. That's, that's where you get a lot of these, these labels. You won't really see these labels pre about 1800. You'll see thought around them, but not labels. So I want to preface it with that. Um, but the three, there's pre-millennialism, there's ah-millennialism, and there's post-millennialism. So they all have that millennial word with a prefix, either pre, ah, or post. And that comes from Latin, um, either the before the millennium, which is pre-millennial, um, like ah, which is a, like a Latin term for like negating, like there is no literal millennium, which is kind of a a precursor, and then post, which is after the millennium. Uh, and that's, that's a really kind of easy uh, introduction, but pre is Jesus returns to the earth and he establishes a literal physical kingdom. Uh, and he's gonna reign here for literal thousand physical years. And that pre is the belief that Jesus returns before the thousand year kingdom. Then there's a post, again, that's after the millennium. So Jesus is presently ruling in the church, uh, which is different than the pre-millennial because there's no like, kind of spiritual ruling in the pre, especially in the hearts of believers, empowered by the spirit and will Christianize the world. So there's more of an emphasis in post about the Christianization or the everyone will soon turn to belief in post-millennialism. Uh, and this has a lot to do with Revelation 20 as well. And so the post means that Jesus returns after everyone becomes Christians or everyone is exposed to the, to the Christian message. And then amillennialism, um, just to kind of play our, or to show our cards a little bit, is what we're, we're, we're advocating in this podcast, which there is no literal physical reigning of a thousand years of Christ millennialism teaches that Christ is currently reigning in and through the church right now. So post-resurrection, post-Easter, if you guys want to learn about resurrection, that's episode two of this podcast. Um, so there's no physical reign, but there's a spiritual reign. And that spiritual reign is what we call an analog, or it's like a, a metaphor, but true metaphor of what the true physical reign in heaven will be like. So that's kind of a spark note version of what those three are. So essentially it's been from our, our understanding of amillennialism, it's been the end times for the last 2000 years since Jesus died on the cross and resurrected from the tomb. Yeah. Yeah. And these are kind of based off of a couple key texts, but yeah, we, we see in scripture and again, we'll, We'll go through this and refer to other podcasts that we've done uh, to give you a comprehensive idea of what the what the end times are. So it's mm -hmm. all millennial is a spiritual reign. Pre is that actual physical reign of Christ. And then post is Christianization of the nations. Everyone becomes Christians and then Christ comes and returns. Mm. So we're really in, uh, this is kind of a, a phrase that some people might have heard is the already we're currently in the already and not yet. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they're a theologian, Gerhardus Voss, and I'll, I'll reference him in the notes. Um, he's got a, a weird sounding name, a Dutch name, but he kind of coined this term inaugurated eschatology, which is what Nick just described. It's we are already in the sign of this 
but it's also not yet. We're not in the full comprehensive idea. So we have a picture, but we're not yet totally 100% within it. Which is essentially the church, the age of the church is that we're in right now. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys want kind of an idea of the church, we, we, in episode four with Garden of Eden um, and the, in the fall, we kind of talked about what the Sabbath is mm -hmm. and how the Sabbath, that Sunday worship, is a picture of the true, full, eternal worship looks like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yep. good. Um, so is the part of scripture that's currently happening, uh, and then there is there part of scripture that's not yet happened or not yet completed? I mean, when I say scripture, uh, for um, eschatology reasons uh it's not just the book of revelation there's a few yeah. other books in the bible that touch on uh eschatology and end times so yeah what what currently is there a part of scripture that is like happening literally right now that we can point to and then do we know for sure what has not happened yet yeah so maybe i'll start kind of at the end we know what has not happened yet is the glorification of all the saints um those who have died in Christ have already been glorified. So they're um, with Christ as he's seated at the right hand of God. God, uh, And we're under that, that spiritual reign that is mirroring, that is imaging that physical reign in heaven. Um, but as far as we can tell, yeah, we're, we're actually, we're like, we're in, we're like post acts, but within revelation, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. Where the resurrection has occurred. So we're in those end times. But the revelation, the book of Revelation, describes what the church has been going through the last 2,000 years since Christ's resurrection in a symbolic, poetic, metaphorical kind of way. Mm -hmm. So that's where we're at right now. It's, there's no specific time period. We just know we're in the church age, and we're, betu we're between the two resurrections. Yeah, and it goes back to Scripture. No one knows, uh, no one in heaven, no one on earth, uh knows when the day or the hour will be other than god the father himself yeah. yep um so we can pretty much dismiss anybody that's on tv saying you know a specific date saying that's when i project the end of the world yeah. and all that and like which has happened so many times the last oh, one if you remember like was it 2011 2012 with harold camping mm-hmm with the mayan calendar and he's talking about how the end times are coming and stuff but that's not new. It's happened, I mean, dozens, if not hundreds of times for the history of the church. People have always been trying to figure out when the end times are coming. Well, and going back to kind of our way of thinking about it is to correct them and say, well, actually, it's been the end times for about yeah. two years. So you mean uh, the distinction there would be the, the day of the Lord, like literally the last yeah. day? <laughs> yeah, true. So just a little, you know difference there um yeah. so what what are the main misunderstandings that are popular that are the most popular or pop popular yeah popularly <laughs> yeah. right now <laughs> yeah so i think the the big one and you you touched on it and this is kind of <clears throat> what i was taught as a kid too and what i what i've heard which is just really pervasive is um that was it the late great planet earth from Hal Lindsey and then the um, left behind series, mm -hmm. which both of those guys are, are very, very popular within the church right now, but neither of them are 
in the kind of strict sense theologically trained to do this stuff. Um, they're very popular, and so they they have some some pull within a couple organizations and denominations. Um, but the big kind of misunderstanding, and again, this is this might come as a shock, but it's again we have to read scripture as scripture wants to be read. Um, but the big misconception is the rapture. It's the yes. the popularity of um, what the left behind says, like you're going to look to your left and there's going to be somebody and there are two people next to you, look to your left and they're still there and you look to the right and there's just a pile of clothes and they've already been raptured up. Um, I think that's a big misunderstanding and that's, that's based off of, I think, an improper view of what the resurrections are talking about in Revelation and who is being talked about, who is being resurrected and at what time. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big popular one that's been really misunderstood and it i think it and you experience this and i experienced this it leads to a lot of anxiety oh yeah um, in believers am i going to be raptured am i ready to be raptured am i going to be found favorable at the end um i really hope people haven't been raptured yet is covid the sign that rapture is coming soon so it just leads to a lot of anxiety oh yeah so with that said since we're talking about rapture um which is the essentially the act of you know people just getting sucked up into heaven out of yeah. is that yeah. really biblically founded i mean i think is it, it and even a lot of people say it's supposed to be the first sign of everything yeah is it really is it out of place in the order of the tribulation of all this stuff or is it really in the beginning and how can we really should we throw throw it all out or is there part of rapture that's really actually biblical? Yeah. So people get this either from um, the gospels uh, when Christ is crucified and this is pre his resurrection. But when it says the saints were, were lifted up or in Thessalonians, it talks about it. Uh, and then revelation, it talks about the resurrection of the saints um, but again, it's knowing how scripture wants to be interpreted and what part of scripture we're in. Are we in a strictly historical text that is displaying literal facts to things that have happened? Or are we in a prophetic portion of scripture, which can be both literal in the sense of actually prophesying future events or metaphorically talking about events in the future as opposed to what it is now? Um, but the rapture in most of those cases, and again, we can go into um, some of the notes and, and give people resources who are listening to this to, to dive deeper into it. But usually the, the re- like the resurrection talks in two ways. It's either the re- resurrection of Christ and his resurrection is our resurrection. Him being glorified, him, his work being accepted by the father, his obedience being given to us on our behalf. That is also our resurrection. So Christ's resurrection from the cross, from the grave, is also our resurrection. I think sometimes those get separated. And people say, there's a resurrection of Christ, but then our resurrection is still to come. But no, as believers, our judgment was on the cross. And our resurrection, theologians say our vindication, which is we've been justified, we've been made right in the sight of God, he has seen us. He has seen Christ's work and he's given it to us. Our resurrection is also at that time too. So it's, it's knowing who's resurrected, who like in who is resurrected as well. Okay. Okay. 
Um, so the, the big part of uh, the apocalypse people focus on is the Antichrist. And yeah. I mean, he's been talked about a lot uh, as an individual. They're trying to point, pinpoint him as a politician that's super cunning and smart and yep. has a, you know, um, you know, a scar or something like that. And he wears the, the number of the B666 and all yep. that stuff. How can we interpret the Antichrist and how can we interpret the Mark of the B666? Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's a bunch of schools of thought. There's a couple where <coughs> 666 is the Hebraic expression. They call it numerology, so just how numbers are interpreted um, to link to Nero. So there's some scholars who think, and it's, it's debated in some portions, but 666, Hebrew terms, you can relate that to Kaiser, which is in the first century, they would have been referring to Nero at this point. So 66 would have equaled, if you look at the Hebrew, like how they reference letters to numbers, like A in our alphabet would be one, B would be two. And so if you look at Hebrew, some people say you can directly relate that to Nero. Um, there are some who like, it's literally just a future person with 666 staple on his forehead or tattooed on his forehead. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's the reformed approach which 666, I think it's supposed to refer to us to the creation account. And the sixth day being when man was created. And the seventh day being that sanctified Sabbath day rest. Sanctified, that seventh day being that perfected rest. And so he's trying to point us to 666 as opposed to 777 being that future rest with God in Christ through the Spirit. And the reason why I think we can say that is in Isaiah 6, Isaiah, or the angels that Isaiah is around say, holy, holy, holy is Lord of hosts. It's in Hebrew, kadosh, kadosh, kadosh. And as you're looking through this, you can say, okay, he's tripling this. He's tripling the sanctified vision of the one who is to come in Christ. And then look at 666, it's tripling of, again, from the Reformed view, tripling of created man. And so it's, he has not obtained, he's not attained to perfection. He's fallen, if that makes sense. So I know there's, there's a lot to it, but kind of spark noting it, it's 666. It is fallen sixth day. It is just man versus the sanctified um, believer looking towards Christ. Hmm. Okay. So there, it does talk about if you don't wear the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell goods and yeah. be on your forehead or your wrist. And obviously when you first read that, you're looking for literal things in yeah. culture and society. Oh my gosh, is this new microchip or <laughs> yeah. or vaccine coming? Yeah, is that going to be, you know, a mark if I don't do it? And if you're a believer, how do you avoid that stuff? Because it does clearly say if you, if you, uh, you know, get the mark, no matter what, you're doomed pretty much. So how yeah. can believers not be, I was terrified of this yeah. for a while because I was like, I'm a believer, but I accidentally got the mark because I was tricked into <laughs> yeah. my, yeah. you know. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's. 
Um, again, it's what is Revelation trying to tell us? Who is writing Revelation and who is he writing it to? Mm-hmm. And so the Apostle John, as far as we can tell, again, there's some conjecture about it, but as far as we can tell, it's written very similarly. Um, and the vocabulary is very similar to the Gospel of John. Um, and it's easier Greek. And so it kind of reminds you of John, the Gospel. And so we can reasonably assume it's John the Apostle. And so he's writing this in Revelation 2 and 3 to seven churches. And those seven churches, again, as far as we can tell, are literal, actual churches in the first century. And so he's writing this to believers who are experiencing, whether it be doubts, whether it be some some temporary persecutions, he's writing it to them saying, hold fast to this faith, hold fast to your belief in the Lord Christ, who's risen for your sin, who's justified you, who's sanctifying you, who will glorify you in the end. And a lot of this can be like, metaphorically because he has to make sure that it, it kind of relates across the board and not just to a single congregation because all of them have different contexts just like we have a different context but it is in a metaphorical way telling them you know what your identification with christ may cause some strife with those who don't identify with christ as well and it may not be just you can't buy these certain things but um, relation between you and a different trader at that time, if they know that you're a Christian or whatever it may be. Um, but less so it's like, oh man, I'm a Christian. I accidentally got this mark. Christ is no longer going to accept me. But knowing that there can be, and we see it today, there are strained relationships between believers and non-believers. And there's persecution against believers. And because we bear the name of Christ, and it's, he's saying, just hold fast to the faith, even if and even when you are eventually persecuted for your beliefs. Okay. And so the number, it sounds like we're going down the path of saying the number 666 is more of like a metaphorical thing. Um, and yeah, not it's literal. like man, think 666 is, is uh, fallen. It's man, yeah. it's of the earth. Versus yep. 777 being that thrice holy, that thrice holy glorified Savior. That is that is that Sabbath rest that we look forward to as well. So it's, it's knowing the difference between of Adam effectively, like we talked about last episode, and of Christ. Mm. And who knows? I mean, maybe even 777 with the Trinity. I don't know if I'm going <laughs> too off on a... <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all uh, fully God and yeah. you know, fully complete. So maybe that's kind of like a more of an understanding of the Trinity, 777. And then, again, Satan likes to mock and uh, God. So, yeah. yeah. And- that's another school of thought, too. Yep. Okay. So also, I remember from one of our previous conversations uh, that was not recorded, but inspired this conversation now. Yeah. Um, we, you and I were kind of going back and forth thinking about what the maybe the mark on the forehead or the right hand would mean. And like other than a literal tattoo or something. And there is other parts of scripture that talk about what the meaning of a mark on your forehead or even the right hand meaning like someone is an alliance yeah the right hand of someone is an alliance too so yeah is that kind of go down to what we're we're talking about with this as well 
yeah, I mean, we, again, we want to think how does scripture speak about these things? Because scripture is going to agree with scripture. Um, you want to look at easier texts to understand to help you with the harder texts that are harder to understand. And so most of the time when the right hand is used in scripture, it's either the right hand of God, right hand of fellowship. It's in accord with somebody. It's your, you're in agreement with, you're in union with somebody else. You are in relationship with somebody else. And then forehead being prominent and also in Deuteronomy, like the law being stapled, the law being dangling from um, your forehead from, I think it's from the sides of your head and some, something on those lines. So it's, again, it's, it's identification. It's mm -hmm. who are you identified with? Who is your communion partner? Who's the one who's purchased you? Who, who are you in league with? Yeah. That, that, um, makes sense that, you know, the, you're either identifying yourself with the world yeah, and fallen man, which would be six, 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 or you're identifying and have your identity and your alliance with God. So, yep. Yep. That's why like, we don't believe in a literal physical at the end antichrist. Okay. Somebody oh, coming yeah. in with that uh with that 666 on their forehead or somebody leading the nations it's we see the antichrist throughout the history of the church mm -hmm. manifested in different ways so manifest in the first century in nero manifested in the second and third century what was called the cordo decamin controversy so it's literally like when was easter they debated that and had wars over the dating of easter and so there was that and then Throughout the medieval church with the rise of the uh, Roman Catholic Church in like 900 AD up through 1500 AD and um, their suppression of the translation of the Bible, their suppression of all believers having access to scripture and learning scripture, um, persecutions in the 16th century, 17th century, Hitler and Marx and all those guys up until today, it's the Antichrist has been manifested in many different ways. Yeah. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's uh, popular thought is definitely we're waiting for the one antichrist. When's he yeah. going to happen? And then we keep looking at people and thinking, is this the guy? Is this who checks all the boxes? But the thing is, like you said, uh, it sounds like the reformed uh, way of looking at it is there have been multiple antichrists that, you know, Satan has influenced directly. Yeah. It means from, like you said, Nero. Uh, uh, some say Napoleon. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, sure. yeah. that's true. Uh, Hitler, uh, obviously. <laughs> um, just yeah. so, yeah. That's also pointing to the fact that end times has happened since uh, yep. Jesus died on the cross, and we're yep. just generation might have an antichrist. Yeah. So, um, when we are looking at apocalyptical scripture mm -hmm. is and this goes back to our previous uh conversations on this on these episodes but yeah what, how do we know again if it's if what i'm reading is super figurative or yeah. uh versus or, or poetic or what can be taken more literal is there any clues yeah so it's it's hard i mean first and foremost it is hard there's no like hard and fast rule an author doesn't begin his sessions like, you know what, guys, 
you should read this one historically and then goes on with his text or you should read this poetically and then goes on with his text. But a lot of it is, it's reading outside of scripture, reading things that are at the same time as scripture and then comparing them and seeing, okay, I read a poem. So like looking up poems or looking up poetry, looking up how they use metaphors in the first century. And it's because we now have the access to the internet and so many resources, you guys can look at first century poems and then compare that with Revelation or look at stuff that predates Christ um, around the time of Zechariah and look at how things were written back then and start comparing that as well. So it's a lot of it is comparative and not saying that the Bible is not totally trustworthy and totally understandable within itself. But like we said about how to read the Bible, it's really helpful to look at other portions of other pieces of literature and then compare it not to say this is how we interpret scripture, but this sounds like this. And they're likely like these authors know of other stuff outside of the Bible. They're not just zeroed on the Bible. And that's all they know. They like, they have friends outside of Israel. That's like, just like we have friends outside of the church, they have friends outside of Israel. And so it's learning that stuff. So it's, I mean, that's, that's where I've, that's been helpful for me is reading stuff outside of scripture. Then I can compare it to scripture and seeing okay, this is a historical text, this is a poetic text. Um, but generally speaking, for apocalyptic, there's some schools of thought that apocalyptic is its own genre, but it also shares some um, with history, with poetry, and with metaphor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember in, uh, I think it was the last episode, uh, we mentioned even the term revelation yeah. to... Be revealed something to yep. see things with you know clear eyes that god gives you yeah uh, that's i mean he starts off his uh his letter saying the revelation of jesus christ literally like this is this is who jesus christ is which god gave him this is to uh john to show to his servants what must soon take place and he made it known by sending his angel to his servant john who bore witness to the word of god and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written therein, for the time is near. And then he talks about the churches that he's in these still. So he's trying to tell these churches, this is who Christ is. He has won. God, don't worry about what's outside of you, but interpret what you have outside of you by this written revelation. Mm -hmm. is, can we... Can we safely match up examples of prophecy that have already been fulfilled in the Bible and see, uh, interpret maybe expectation of other prophecies that might not have been fulfilled yet? And that way we can kind of make a prediction on how it might look. I mean, for example, in the Old Testament, uh, we talk, they talk a lot about the coming Messiah and how he's going to act and look and or you know be and and i, I everyone seemed surprised when he finally came because they yeah. thought he was going to be this mighty hercules warrior yeah and he did fulfill scripture perfectly yeah. but i think people were looking at it different so yeah. can we learn any lessons in reading prophecy or stuff that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I think the number one lesson we can learn from that is 
we likely interpret scripture right now precisely how they did back then. So I think the coming is going to surprise us in some way, not that it's going to be different, but like we are fallible, error-filled interpreters of a perfect scripture. Um, so there's going to be some things that we just get wrong. Um, and I mean, as far as I know, all the prophecies that have been within scripture have already been fulfilled and they were fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so whenever the prophets talk about in the days to come, in the last days, they're referring to Christ. This is when that age starts. And then when the New Testament authors, I, I mean, I, I think in 99% of the circumstances, when they say last days, they usually say in these last days. In the Old Testament, it says in the days to come. And New Testament generally says in these last days. Um, and that's in Acts when Peter is right about to preach his Pentecost sermon and at the beginning of Hebrews too. They always say in these last days. So they're saying these prophecies have been fulfilled. We're living within the fulfilled prophecy. And the only one that has not yet been fulfilled is the coming of Christ to establish his kingdom, spiritually and physically. Okay. So there's a lot of also just chock full of symbolism. I mean, I could oh, go yeah. from uh, a dragon with multiple heads and 10 horns to yeah. a woman that's running away to yep. even Jesus. When he first came, his first coming was a sacrificial lamb. And then he's going to be a bloody lamb and defeat mm -hmm. the dragon. But he's also going to come back as, uh, on a white horse, blazing fire. I mean, yeah pretty rad to me i mean on that part but uh i don't know i mean i don't know if they're gonna have an answer to this part but yeah, yeah there's a lot of that just we gotta chalk it up as super symbolism or are we literally is the first sign of it gonna be actually seeing jesus in the clouds on a white horse literally yeah i mean i i think if you we have to look again when we look at scripture, is it referencing, is it referencing prior scripture or scripture to come? Uh, and so if we look at Genesis, we have to look after Genesis to see if, if anything is, is fulfilled within that. And like we talked about in how to read the Bible, there's a little portion on the history texts and Exodus 17 with the rock and the people of Israel complaining and building that case, that legal case against Moses and then Paul in Corinthians says, this is what the rock is. He, he says, this is where this is fulfilled. I'm telling you that this is the, the fulfillment of that. And not necessarily a prophecy, but just interpreting it for us. But in Revelation, Revelation asks us to look back. And so Revelation, a lot of the symbolism is Old Testament symbolism. Um, so the plagues within it should refer us to Exodus with the plagues out of Egypt. And it's more just spiritual freedom from bondage of sin to spiritual freedom um, that we've already experienced in this life and we will experience perfectly in the life to come. And then with Babylon, with uh, the white horse, white horse is referenced in Zechariah, um, white horse and a red horse in Zechariah. And it's referring to the Messiah who's to come, the Messiah who rides in that white horse and white horse being a symbol of victory. Um, the one who's the, going to ride on that horse is that victorious servant of the Lord who's purchased us, who's obeyed for us. And we also kind of see that too in what is it? That's the um, Palm Sunday when Christ comes in the donkey. And it's also supposed to remind you of Zechariah and 
Revelation refers to that as well, because the word for donkey and horse aren't super dissimilar in both Hebrew and in um, Greek. And the donkey in first century Rome was like what a king would ride on or somebody else would ride on in like a covenant making ceremony. It's, it was like a covenant thing. It's saying, I am the one who's bringing this covenant to fulfillment. And again, it's, it's, it's knowing how to read your Bible. It's knowing kind of the fullness of the context, what these things point to, what these things point back from. Right. Right. Um, if you had to guess, and I don't want to quote you on this, but this is just yeah. part of, of us just having a conversation. And, yeah. And, but if you had to guess, where, what period of the end times are we currently at, you think? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the same phrase that Revelation 22 uses, saying, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's all I know is we're in the last days. I don't know if that means ends coming 10 years from now, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now. Um, and in effect, like, I'm not worried about it. And right. I think a, a, lot of, a lot of people who are told about the rapture, told about all this judgment that's to come for – everybody there's two judgments for the christian there's a judgment on the cross that happened on christ that's all we got to worry about are you in christ you've already been judged and you've been judged righteous in the sight of god because of the righteousness the obedience of christ if you're not in christ your judgments to come and the judgment to come is the one where you don't have christ obedience therefore you must have obedience on your own to be justified in god's sight and that resurrection is not your resurrection towards heaven. It's your death. It's your spiritual death in disobedience. Right. So many people hear of the end, the last day, the day of the Lord, meaning judgment day, Armageddon. Yeah. Uh, just everyone's going to, you know, burn to death and just terrifying stuff. But sounds like what you're, alluding more to is that the day of the Lord, which is literally the last day, it's more of a day of celebration for us that are justified. And, and it is in fact more of a judgment day for the world for the, un, the yeah. believers. And yeah. Judgment. Again, we have to look at scripture and ask is like it, what judgment is. I think we only think of judgment as being bad. Judgment is a judgment of our works, but we have to think our works are not our own. Our works are Christ's works. And so our judgment is a judgment on Christ. And the judgment on Christ was favorable in saying, you have fulfilled the commands of this law. I have given this to your people, to your saints, versus the day of the Lord for those who don't have Christ. That is a judgment on their works, again. But their works are going to found inferior imperfect and wanting and then that's what leads them towards you cannot be my presence mm. it's it's literally walking into a courtroom and there you're either justified with christ where he's christ is like your lawyer and god yeah. is the judge and he doesn't even need to hear anything he's like oh you're with him you're good yep or yeah which is i mean why i think the spirit for us is so huge and usually the spirit is considered like that like that gift giver oh you have the gift of hospitality or you have the gift of service or you have the gift of like gift giving which is true 
Um, but I think an even like greater, fuller understanding of the spirit is the spirit is your down payment, your deposit that in eschatology, in the end time, you have that heavenly home. The spirit mm -hmm. being that end time person, the end time part of the Trinity that you have right now. That means you will in heaven, like you have that heavenly home already guaranteed for you. Um, so for us, eschatology is right now, like we talked about, because we have the spirit. We have that end times Trinitarian presence right now that guarantees us our home. Something cool, too, is the way God operates as far as he's going to gather his entire church before he comes back. Yeah. They, he's never too early and he's never too late. Mm -mm. So even if it took, let's just say hypothetically, 200 years and there mm -hmm. wasn't anybody born mm -hmm was saved and then in 10, 200 years there's that one last person he'll wait yeah. 200 years to rescue that last person he knows he knows who everybody is that's going to yep. be rescued. yep and it even says in scripture that uh, nothing above the earth on earth below the earth can separate you from the love he has for you so yeah romans 8 and romans 8 romans 8 yeah that gives me comfort knowing that whole mark of the beast kind of confusion being like oh what if i accidentally get it because he's not gonna let that happen you nope. know even if it was a literal mark he's not gonna i'm already in his grip and there's yep. nothing i can do to even get myself out of it nope. <laughs> so that is super great comfort to yep. people um yeah. yeah i just love that stuff um uh, so to kind of wrap this up mm -hmm we answered all this but i kind of wanted to make it more concise uh how do we maybe look at because i've heard of pre-millennialism and yeah. post-millennialism how people describe the checklist of events that yeah. happen in their theory what would be the main checklist of events for amillennialism if you could break that yeah down. so amillennialism amillennialism we look at uh creation to the incarnation as kind of one event um, versus some dispensationalists see a, a whole bunch of different events. And it's because we see one covenant or we see two covenants administrated in different ways. And it's the covenant of works, which is the law telling us this is what you have to do to be justified in my sight or grace, which is this has been done. You are justified in my sight um, into the incarnation. Incarnation then points us to that resurrection which is of Christ, his resurrection points and starts the last days. So last days, like we said, are um, prophesied in the Old Testament, and they are grounded in the New Testament. And last days, um, some of them are Acts 2.17 and Hebrews 1.2 uses this phrase, last days, and it says, we are in, these are the last days. And then from the last days into that second coming is where we see right now the physical church being a picture of the new heavens of the new earth. And so it's, I think our, our like our timeline is a whole lot simpler than pre and post millennialism. Cause there's, there's just one age. There's that, there's the, these days, these are the last days 
and we are living in that spiritual reign and the spiritual reign is a true reign it's not like oh we're waiting for the true reign as we're actually in the true reign right now and the true reign is the church yeah the church points us towards what the physical heavenly reign will be like when christ comes in and makes new heavens and new earth so there's no yeah. like oh this has to happen and this has to happen and there's just like little time um and we'll talk about it later with the church but it's it has to do with how we see israel in relation to the church as well and we see in the reformed tradition continuity there's israel is the church and it hasn't right. changed right yeah going back again we're in the church age which maybe started the moment moment the first pentecost happened yep. Yep. when the, when jesus left uh earth and said hey i'm gonna give you the holy spirit yep um to take care of you guys and so from the first Pentecost to now until the last day of the day of the Lord, that is the church age uh, kind of overseen by the Holy Spirit. Yep. And pre-first coming, pre coming of Jesus would have been really the only part of God people really knew about was Yahweh, which was the father aspect mm -hmm. of the right? Yeah, they trusted that a mediator was coming. They, they knew yeah. a mediator was coming. And there are people who are anointed by the Holy Spirit at various times. But yeah, like Pentecost is the anointing of all believers. So all believers are now priests. And yep. it's because we look towards the high priest who's already made atonement for our sins. Mm -hmm. And we know we're in the last days for sure, because uh, whether it's a thousand more years or uh, right now, um, the world has been exposed to all three beings in the Trinity. So, um, yeah, that is, that's why I kind of go back to my first comment. This, this information has made me feel way more calm and confident and good about just my standing with God. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't need to be, uh, super scared. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, there's, it's not, I don't, it sounds like we don't really think that all of a sudden we're going to have a, a literal disappearance of people like a rapture kind of event to kick it off. No, I mean, we could be wrong in our interpretation, but I think we're reading the Bible as the Bible wants to be read. Right. And so I think when it comes down to it, and I've asked other spiritual uh, Christian leaders that I personally know about this, and uh, they just say, hey, all I know is when I see Jesus coming and I know it's truly him, I'm, you know, super excited and yeah. running straight towards him. So yeah. uh, don't be fooled by counterfeit people. Cause it does say in scripture, like who could be um, people will claim to be God, right? People yeah. claim to be Jesus. And so just make sure you know scripture well and uh, recognize counterfeits. Mm -hmm. so uh we did probably already uh, answer this question i kind of i like to wrap up each episode with this is uh how does this all tie into the gospel of jesus in yeah time? i mean it's it's just a sweet and simple gospel it is i mean more specifically attached to eschatology as a believer we've already been judged and we've been judged righteous in the sight of God through the obedience and the righteousness of Christ. 
we don't have to worry about a future judgment because the future judgment is you've already been judged. Welcome to your heavenly home. Mm-hmm. We've already been at the bar. We've already been in front of the judge and the judge has approved us. And the judge says, you've proven your case. You've obeyed my laws. And it's because Christ obeyed my laws. Mm-hmm. Christ obeyed me on your behalf and gave you his obedience. And then for the non-believers, the gospel is you can't do this on your own. Your judgment is coming. And your judgment was not at the cross. Your judgment will be at his second coming. And so it's flee to that cross. Go to that judgment on the cross and say, Christ, I can't do this. I can't bear your burden. I can't bear the law. I need your obedience on my behalf. And give me your obedience. Give me your righteousness. And as the spirit indwells you with that righteousness, it doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. It means that heavenly home is now yours. That heavenly home is sure. You don't have to worry about all of these different signs and stuff. All those different signs are, are metaphors to say, Christ won. There will be temptation. There will be battles. There will be other things that try to persecute the church. But take heart, Christ is one. He will come and he will take his saints, which are perfectly his in his grip at the, at the end. And that spirit is the end for us right now. Cool. Amen. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Um, thanks so much, guys. We hope that answered some uh, questions that you've always had. If, if you want more information or uh, maybe other books or references to dig into this more, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram. You can email us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we will uh, at some point in time, you know, maybe answer questions online on uh, these episodes, but we'll get back to you on, on more stuff. Yeah, and only give us stars. If you give us five stars or else we don't want it. Yeah. We want just, <laughs> we want just your five stars. If you yeah, don't yeah. like us, don't say it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. If you want, yeah. Feedback, or whatever, let us know. Cause we want to provide a service. And also too, I mean, trying to end each one of these, find a local church. If you're not part of one or, or find a biblically centered church, um, there's a website, napark.org, which will bring you to a lot of churches that believe some of this stuff. And it's N-A-P-A-R-C.org. And I'll put that into the show notes too. But it's digging the scripture. Don't be, don't be um, satisfied with anything else but, the, but biblical exposition week in, week out. Having a pastor who's over your soul, having believers who help you, um, like Nick and I, try to help each other. Yep. Cool. Amen. All right. Well, we will catch you guys next time. Thank you so much. Yep. Peace out. Bye.